This program is supported by Altus Learn. Did you know that 89% of employees say, if my employer invested in my training, I'm more likely to stay with the organization long-term? An Altus Learn Imaging Campus has the required education for imaging centers to meet annual ACR, IAC, and Joint Commission requirements for radiation and MRI safety and CT dose reduction. An imaging campus not only provides the annual required education, but also provides the imaging center techs with access to over 200 CEs, which are accepted by the ARRT. Including CEs published on the RADCAST podcast, imaging technologists can track all of their CEs through the CE wallet, and imaging center leaders can check the compliance status of each of its team members. Learn more at the bottom of RADCAST.com and click on Get a Campus. So today on this episode of Turner Talk, I'm welcoming Hope Petzenhauser. And I'm going to tell you, Hope and I met sort of via social media because we have very like um, research topics and very um, like things that we um, enjoy looking into. I guess enjoy is the right word. We'll talk about that here in a minute. But Hope, I want to welcome you to the show. And how about you tell us, you know, where you are, what you do, and importantly for me, why you got into studying the topic of um, burnout in radiation therapist. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, a little background on me, I'm a radiation therapist. Um, I work at a clinic, a small clinic in Iowa. Uh, I started out at a bigger, larger hospital in Minnesota um, when I first started working and then kind of moved back home to where we were from and work at a few smaller clinics here. So um, how I came about this topic, uh, I guess I was in grad school for a couple of years and I just, we had to pick a project that we were gonna do for the last semester to write a paper on. Um, and through my research and all the papers I had written in grad school, which seemed like a million, um, I came across uh, stress and burnout and it just kept um, being like a recurrent topic that I seen. And I knew through working that, you know, stress is a huge thing in radiation therapy. So that's kind of how I picked it and why I did my research on it. So. Well, so like I said, that's kind of how we connected. Um, you had posted mm -hmm. some results of a study you did. And like I said, we're going we're gonna to dig into that study because your study was kind of about um, how we pass this down to students. What are students, what are their perceptions of the environments that they work in? So let's kind of start from the beginning because another important part of your mm -hmm. study um, was about job satisfaction. And so I found the yeah. same thing when I was doing my research that despite everything that's going on, despite all of the chaos, despite the stress and burnout, radiation therapists really, really like what they do. They love their patients uh -huh. and, you know, they all, for the most part, feel that they entered um, this profession for a reason. So if you could just speak a little bit about that, about the job satisfaction part, because I want to start on a positive note and I want to end on a positive note because we're going to have yes. some kind of sticky stuff in the middle there. So let's talk about the job satisfaction part just a little bit. Yeah, that's always a good thing across the board. Um, so I guess for me, it's always been more of a calling for radiation therapy than like a job, I wanna say. Um, it's very rewarding. Um, we, we work with cancer patients on a daily basis. We're seeing them for three to six weeks, Monday through Friday, every day. And you kinda just get to build a relationship with them, be in their life, know their family, know what they're going through and kind of help them through that situation. So I think there's a greater good beyond just knowing them as a patient, I guess, from my point of view. Um, but as far as job satisfaction goes, you're getting that fulfillment from that, I believe. Um, and it just kind of brings joy to radiation therapists to get to go through that right. experience. And I know there have been some other studies done. There was the one out of Louisiana, I think, a couple of years ago, or maybe I referenced it when I did my study as well or when I did some follow-up stuff. So I know it's been within the last few years. The one out of Louisiana um, cites that job satisfaction is really high. And like I said, that's sort of the same, even though that wasn't the point of my research or wasn't the topic of my research, it was somewhat of an incidental finding that even in the, even in the midst of everything, we still do what we do for our patients. Um, and then we get satisfaction out of that as well. So that's where those high um, job satisfaction um, scores come from. 
Okay, so let's yeah. talk a little bit about burnout and radiation therapist. So let's talk about radiation therapist first. And so my research was mainly on stress and coping. Once again, burnout was mm-hmm. the end result, but what got us to that point. So mm-hmm. what kind of numbers did you find? I know you did some different surveys and all. What kind of numbers did you find or percentages? And you don't have to be exact, just some, you know, some generalities here. <laughs> So um, what did you find when it comes to radiation therapists categorizing themselves as being burned out? You know, um, yeah, I kind of wrote it down, so it's like, I'm not going to remember that. But um, (laughs) I believe the job burnout was um, 78% of radiation therapists uh, experience job burnout, which is a huge, huge number, almost everyone. But, um, and then I think there was another. Oh, and then I was going to say, like, the age range that's experiencing that is, like, 33 to 42. So it's early on, you know, in right. people's careers, which is kind of crazy. But So you said that you found in your study that 78% of radiation therapists categorize themselves or define themselves as burnout. So let's real quick um, go over what burnout means. And there are the three different kind of sections or categories or three different things that contribute to burnout. Um, Emotional exhaustion, uh, physical exhaustion, and whatever the one is that leads to apathy. So it's like lack of um, professional growth or or whatever. And so how many of those things, what do you think is the most relevant? I don't want to say relevant. What do you think is the most often occurring? Is it that physical exhaustion? Is it just that being worn down part? Or is it that part to where you just kind of, everything collides on you, just kind of give up and become apathetic? Yeah, I don't feel that it's physical for me. Um, I feel it's probably more emotionally draining or tolling on radiation therapists. You know, you're constantly working in a tight schedule. You have 15-minute slots to treat patients. And I'm sure there's things, you know, lack of communication and stuff that go into that. Um, also, I think, what was the other one you said? Apathy. Um, <clears throat> that just kind of plays into, um, sorry, I lost my place. That's okay. I know that you put in, I know that in your study, you said something about, even though you said you don't feel that it's physical for you, um, I know that there was, a, that you said in your study, and I'd also spoken to some people before, especially when they talk about the, like, musculoskeletal, so, you know, like, moving patients oh, yeah. all the time, or helping yeah. patients, or, you know, back in the old days when you had to lift blocks, or you have to reach things over your head, I'm not very tall, so everything was always way mm-hmm. over my head, I know the physicality plays into it some, but you mm-hmm. don't see that as much as the emotional part. Is that right? Yeah, I think people just get drained of the constant. Well, in healthcare today, too, you know, we're constantly worried about getting coverage from insurance and just, you know, it seems like everything kind of piles on top of each other, worrying about pre-authorizations and pleasing the physicians and pleasing the other people you work with. And on top of all of that, you're trying to be there for the patient and be an emotional support for them, too. It's just a lot. <clears throat> well, so since you mentioned, you brought up schedules. I didn't, but so let's go into, <laughs> uh, you know, some of the causes. And scheduling or time yeah. or commitment seems to be way at the top. It seems to be the recipient of lots of complaints. So in that schedule, whether you're trying to do more patients with less staff, and that's a whole other show, um, you know, when we talk about overwork and understaffed. So, or Mm -hmm. is it the doctor coming to you and saying, oh, we've got to squeeze this person in or somebody promising a patient a certain time that's just not available. So what about that schedule? One just turns the whole day into chaos if it doesn't go well. I think it's a combination of all of those things, honestly. Um, You know, like if we're super busy, we don't have a lunch break scheduled in there and we're trying to do that, you know, get everyone lunch. And then, yeah, the physician might come and say, oh, I have an add-on SIM and we're going to treat this patient today because it's an emergency. So you're trying to fit all those things into your schedule while maintaining good patient care. Um, It just, (laughs) it becomes a kind of a catastrophic event for one little, you know, one little leap in the schedule that doesn't seem like that big of a deal. And then you have patients out there waiting that you're 20 minutes behind, a half hour behind because you got thrown off. But. That's how it goes. <laughs> and that 20 minutes turns into half hour, turns into 45 minutes, and you're yeah, all really fast. Yeah. So 
over the course of my career, which has been long, real long, um, I've seen a lot of changes. So how do you believe, how do you believe that the change in technology has either um, negatively affected scheduling or positively affected scheduling with, with things getting more difficult, with things getting, taking longer, with things having many, many more fields, how does that affect scheduling? Um, in some ways it's good because you can adjust, you know, if they're an SBRT or a different kind of treatment that you know is going to take longer, you can adjust your schedule for that and make it look nice. But making your schedule look nice and actually having it happen that way are two completely um, different things. So if the therapists aren't the ones in charge of the schedule, um, you know, the scheduler might not know how long something takes or that this patient takes longer or vice versa. And then, you know, like I said, it can create issues too that way. So interesting you said that because I remember a quote um, from one of the participants in my research that said just because the schedule's all color-coded and pretty and everything matches doesn't mean that it's going to work that way. That is very true, yes. Yeah, let's talk about, uh, you know, a few more causes because there are a lot of things that weigh on us as therapists to get or or as we speak across modalities because that's one thing I learned even though I'm a therapist and I usually speak in a therapist's mind, what I've learned is that whatever the modality may be, the core issues are still there. Be that overwork and understaff, or we're about to talk about management, which could go on for a while. Um, you know, some patient issues. I know in therapy, we may not have the same patient issues that, for example, maybe somebody coming out of the emergency department. You know, that's a whole different patient subset. But regardless of the modality, there seem to be just kind of these core concepts that, that follow us. So that, like I said, we're speaking about therapy, but this does kind of, you know, go across all the modalities. Yeah. So let's yeah, talk a little bit about management. And um, so some, some things I've heard is, you know, management doesn't understand what we're really doing on the front lines. Um, there are decisions being made that could be done in a different way if they would just listen to what we had to say or management really has no idea what's taking place over the course of our day. They're not in the trenches with us. They're making decisions from somewhere else. So how do you see management playing into um, just the compounded stress? And then after we finish this, we'll talk about how that can be improved a little bit. Sure. Um, I think management probably plays a larger role in the stress uh, in radiation therapy or in just x-ray in general. Um, like you said, they're not there every day. They're not seeing what's going on and they don't know that unless we tell them. But I think there's probably just some lack of communication there between, you know, on both ends and nobody wants to do the wrong thing or, right. and I'm sure from the management standpoint, it's, you know, cost savings and money things, um, coming down from that way. And, you know, we're wanting stuff to improve our jobs. So it's kind of a balance of finding a happy medium in between those two, I guess I would say. So what about management and maybe the overall culture of a department or the work, the work culture of that cancer center, the environment? Um, and, you know, if you look on social media or, or anywhere, actually, and you see different uh, categories of leaders and, you know, 10 good traits of leaders. And some of that is relationships with the people that are underneath them that they manage, um, communication and trust. And so how do you yes. see... Um, managers affecting this whole workplace culture. So if, you, if you're if you used to, or not used to, if you work in a culture that's always chaotic or always loud or people are always arguing or things just don't always seem to be going well, what is the responsibility of management in that situation? Um, I think they kind of play a mediator role in that situation. Um, they need to be somebody that you can trust and somebody that you can come to if you're having issues. But also, I think staff needs to be able to work among themselves and, uh, you know, deal little disputes among themselves if they can before they go to management. Um, but, yeah, I think listening and communication is key with that and anything that you do in healthcare. But So, interesting that you brought up staff being able to work amongst themselves. Um, and it's um, a couple of different committees that I sit on and I've done some different um uh, surveys and things for, for other, other entities. And one of the things that has come up is um, the training or the education or the skill set not being comparable across all 
all coworkers. So for example, maybe a coworker mm -hmm. says, um, working next to this person, this person's supposed to be my team member, this person's supposed to help me, but I feel like I'm constantly covering for them. So about that team member, about that work partner dynamic, how does that add to, to the working environment and to the stress level? Yeah, I think that plays a huge role because, I mean, I look at myself, I'm a millennial, so I do things different than, you know, maybe somebody in a different generation does, and they might have far more experience than I do and have experienced more technology developments and stuff like that, where I've never worked with having to really put, I put wedges in the machine, but that's about all, you know, like I've never had to <clears throat> deal with any of this stuff before we had all this new technology, so I have a different perspective than somebody who's older in the field or you know, somebody who's younger and doesn't have as much experience, it can be frustrating at times. And you mentioned um, <clears throat> like coming from different schooling or different backgrounds makes a difference too. Um, I know where I went to school, um, it's just a different, I don't wanna say maybe a different standard or expectation. Um, I worked with different therapists who've come from like smaller schools or maybe a school where they weren't um, like a hospital-based program and it didn't seem like they had as much competency maybe if that makes sense um <clears throat> as what i was used to having as a student i guess we were just expecting to have that part of the caliber of the program but how do you think um and this kind of goes back to management kind of goes back to workplace environment how do you think work ethic so for example you've got two people who are equally educated they're supposed to know the exact same things but you've got one that's a much harder worker does that lend itself to person a not trusting the other person as much um, them not being a good team member them not wanting to work together well how does that work ethic or level of motivation play into these team dynamics yeah i think that makes a difference um <clears throat> if you work with somebody who you're on the same level with and has the same worth work ethic as you um, you're going to work better together you're going to be on schedule and you're going to know what the other one's thinking whereas if you're somebody who's more hardworking versus somebody who's not and you're working together, you might get frustrated thinking one's not doing enough or you don't know what they're doing when you're not back there treating or when you're with another patient. So that can play into the dynamics of how the work for, or workplace is going. So since we've talked about management, and I think we both believe that management holds some responsibility, but us as professionals, us as therapists have responsibility as well. How do you think mm -hmm. that we take our responsibility? Say something's just not working. Say something, um, maybe there's a new policy or a scheduling or you have to do you know, 10 more patients in a day. And you on the front line know this just isn't gonna work and could affect the safety of patients. You know, something, something could go wrong. How do we as professionals better communicate that to management so that maybe we reduce the stress under which we're working? Yeah, I think we need to find unity kind of amongst ourselves as therapists and kind of band together and stand up for what we know is right and what what is safe for patients because we don't want to treat somebody the wrong way. You know, it's so easy to make a mistake in radiation therapy. We wouldn't ever want to do that. So I think um, banding together, talking about it, acknowledging that there's um, something going on that we need to fix and then maybe approaching your manager together as a front or as a team so that they understand that this is actually a problem and they're going to do something about it versus just you going and talking to them and maybe it getting brushed under the table or ignored for a little while if they don't think it's an issue so let's let's move on from management and let's talk about doctors for a little bit so we've all worked mm -hmm. with really great physicians and we've all worked with um some others um you know especially yeah. when i think back to my x-ray days because i was x-rayed in therapy when i think back to my x-ray yeah. days in surgery there was always the one you know the doctor that nobody oh, yeah. wanted to go to surgery with because he was yeah. just nasty to everybody so mm -hmm. how do doctors affect the department dynamics and how do they affect maybe that level of busyness and craziness that just adds stress to radiation therapist? Um, yeah, that's a big thing too is physicians and radiation oncology. Um, I think you need to have somebody who's willing to listen to you and we, like I have a physician right now that will ask you if they could do something better to improve our job to make it easier, which is huge because you need to be able to work together as a team to give the patient the best outcome and 
to treat your therapist well so that they're going to do what you want them to do. Um, and so they can, like you said, trust you. It's a huge thing. <clears throat> so what about patients? Because we mentioned patients earlier. So if you've got a, patient's com a patient coming out of the emergency department, you know, you're dealing with a lot of different issues. For the most part, our patients are very kind and gracious and thankful. Mm -hmm. um, and like you said, we develop that relationship with patients. But there are those patients that aren't. Um, there are some patients that, you know, are very set in their ways or they're very, you know, they can, they can sometimes just be hateful or ugly. Mm -hmm. um, how heavy does that aspect of patient care weigh on radiation therapists? And um, how does that add to that potential for maybe that emotional separation? Yeah, I think that adds a huge toll on the emotional end. Um, you know, if you have a patient like that who just doesn't like you or is really set in their ways and doesn't want to be there, it's hard to want to come and treat them every day if you know they're not going to treat you well um, or something like that. So I think we just need to learn how to, you know, we don't have the skill set to necessarily learn how to cope with that emotionally. So maybe we need some help on that end to deal with patients like that or need some education on it, um, bring light to it, I guess, in the therapy world, even an x-ray, you know, <clears throat> same way there. I know I've worked with therapists before to, if, or myself even, if they had a patient that maybe fit that category, um, it was almost like a challenge, a challenge to work yes. harder for that patient or a challenge to be nicer to that patient, you know, just to try to flip them over, you know, to get them out of, you yeah. know, because they have a lot going on in their lives too. So what about the aspect of patient care that so when most people um, say why would you go, why would you ever go into radiation therapy why do you want to work with you know cancer patients why do you want to do that every day what about that emotional aspect the dealing with patients the caring for patients who may be terminal um, who may have all kinds of family issues going on what about that emotional aspect of patient care yeah, that's a great question. I get asked that a lot, actually. <laughs> um, but I think that side of the emotional part um, from dealing with patients for me isn't draining. Um, it's what creates the reward for me. Um, because like you had mentioned before, a difficult patient, you're trying to turn it around so that by the end of the treatment, they're happy that they got to know you and stuff like that. Um, it, I'm not going to say it's never hard to deal with patients that are dying or, you know, going through these things. But I think it's knowing that you helped them along their path and made it better or made it easier or more comfortable for them um, versus not doing that. So yeah, I think that's that part would not be emotionally draining for me. Right, my first um, job out uh, when I graduated from therapy school, once again, a long time ago, I worked at a children's hospital. And so I'm often asked, how did you do, how did you do that? How did you work at a children's hospital? And I think at the time, I didn't have children at the time. And I think that was just, that's where my passion was. That's where my, you know, my heart yeah. was. As I got older and as my children got older, it always seemed to be um, the patients that I could most closely relate to. You know, if it was a patient that was my husband's age or a patient that was young or a patient that reminded me of my, my parents or something like that. It always, there always seemed to be some patient that you made a connection with that really did just affect you a little more emotionally yeah. than, than the rest of the patient schedule. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. I have three little kids, so I kind of imagine, <laughs> treat. you know, I've treated older kids, but little kids, I think it would really bother me. Or like you said, I've treated a couple patients that are the same age as me, and then they have, a you know, a bad prognosis, and it just kind of gives you a reality check, like things could be a lot worse, and it, it makes me appreciate things. But yes, you're right, that that side can emotionally drain you when you see somebody go through that or pass away, and it takes a toll on you outside of work too. It's not just, you know, at your job. So. Right. <clears throat> so one last thing that I think, um, you know, has been kind of agreed on across all of the, the burnout and stress studies. And I will say that internationally, there, there's been lots more research on this topic than there has been here in the U.S. So one of the things that kind of seems consistent across them all, in addition to the other things, there are lots of similarities. But one of the things that's consistent is the weight of 
pushing the button for lack of a better term. It's the weight mm -hmm. of knowing that if an accident happens, you know, that could be, that could be on you. You're the last safety net between your patient and a really high dose of radiation. So have you seen that play out, not necessarily in your own practice, but have you seen that play out through your research and, you know, through um, communication with other folks? Yeah, definitely. I think fear um, is a big thing as a radiation therapist. We strive to be perfect every day. <laughs> And we're human it's not possible so um we have to learn to i guess cope with that um but like you said um it's very easy to set a patient up wrong or um have something not work on the machine so that's where you have to be really diligent and trust the other person that you're working with to know that they're double checking your work um to make sure that you are treating the patient right and that's where the um <clears throat> that we know that we're treating them right comes into play because um, we had somebody double check it. It wasn't just me that was checking my work. You have right. a partner that's with you. Um, so that's why it's also scary because there's some places out there who, um, I guess, treat by themselves. I think that would make me very uncomfortable, <laughs> but um, it does happen. Uh, yes, there are places where therapists treat by themselves, and that's one, I guess, if there's anything that... Um, Anything that I will go to, if anything I'll, I'll get into a fight about, it's about a minimal number of therapists on the machine because that drives yes. me crazy. But yes, there are places where therapists treat alone and for the most part, it's for productivity measures or, you know, for whatever. Like I said, that's something yeah. I'll just get in a fight about. So we can see, especially since we kind of worked down the, I guess, level of hierarchy there or something, the at the root of it all is us again, trying to protect our patients and us again, mm -hmm. feeling responsible as we should for patients receiving you know, safe and, and high quality care. And all of these things can kind of pile onto that and um, affect that. All, it could have a negative effect if we are dealing with um, management or workplace conditions, physicians, um, team members, if all of that kind of piles on, then it ultimately can affect patient safety. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, if you're under stress and you're under pressure and you're under time constraints, it's a lot likely, more likely for an error to occur versus if you feel comfortable in your job and you're not pressured on that schedule. <clears throat> so let's look Let's look at, because you've mentioned coping skills a couple of times, um, and I found that we don't really cope. We don't have anything that's named coping. Um, we kind of just push through and go on, which in and of itself is a coping mechanism, but mm -hmm. we don't really do anything professionally. Now, personally, you know, people may exercise or they may eat ice cream or, I mean, you know, they may have some um, negative coping skills. But yeah. um, as a profession, what do you think could be done to um, address some of these issues and to help us cope? And this is going to lead into that student thing, because whatever mm -hmm. we're doing now, we're passing on to our students. So what do you think right. we could do better to cope? And what do you think could be done as a profession to help raise awareness so that it's seen that we need some coping mechanisms? Yeah, um, I think. It, when I did my uh, study, I asked a question about coping, if any of the um, hospitals provided that, and I think it was a pretty high number, like 80% or something like that, um, of hospitals did not offer any coping mechanisms or how to deal with the stress, um, which is really sad. Yeah. Um, I don't necessarily know what those coping mechanisms are going to be, but I think there's a lot of options out there um, to help deal with that stress um, of death and dying and just the stress of everyday workflow in the radiation therapy or x-ray department. Um, <clears throat> things that I think we need to do as therapists is nobody talks about it, I don't feel like. Um, we need to stand up and bring light to this and whether it's through research or um, whatnot and make management know and make the healthcare organizations know that this is going on and happening um, so that burnout you know, will decrease among radiation therapists in the future. Well, I know there's, you know, there's been an increase in research and in news articles and in, you know, marketing or publication or whatever about burnout in physicians and burnout in nurses. So mm -hmm. kind of like other things, how do we, how do we get that down to us? And I think that's, yeah. uh, I, I don't want, I didn't mean to say down because we shouldn't be down from anything. How do we get that across to us as well? How do we get um, the same recognition 
um, that some of the other professions are getting for burnout because um, we probably spend as much time with patients as anybody else. Um, and in some instances, a whole lot more time. So I think as a profession, we need to work towards um, that same recognition. Okay, let's talk about, because the root of your study was all this stuff we're passing down to students. How do students perceive what we're going through? How do students perceive the environments they're being trained in? And it's kind of like as a parent, you know, the things your kids see you do, they either mimic or they pick up on or, you know, it just becomes a part of their lives. So I know your study had some really big numbers and it was something like 80% of students said they felt like they were working with burned out therapists. So yeah, what about, the, what about the students? What do the students see in the environments that they're working in or that they're training in? I guess I was looking at this from my standpoint because we have students come in and shadow us, whether it be an x-ray student or a high school student. Um, and I know that they can see, you know, like the tension and the stress when something doesn't go right. So I guess I just was interested in knowing, like, I think that they see that, but are they actually seeing that when they come in to see us? Um, you know, like if something goes wrong on the machine or I don't, if we have a student and I can't explain to them, they're there to learn and see what's going on. And I don't have time to sit down and show them or explain to them what's going on because there's some other issue going on that I have to take care of. Right. Um, so in my survey, I guess I kind of checked with them just to see, are you seeing this burnout on therapists that you're working with? And like you said, like 80% of them were um, experiencing that, which is kind of sad and scary at the same time for them. <clears throat> so did you have a chance to ask any of them how, as a student observing how they would describe this burnout? What is it, what did they think burnout looked like? Did they think burnout just looked like the chaos of the department or were there any specific instances where they're like, oh my gosh, that was, you know, that I, I could tell that was burnout. How do students describe yeah. what this burnout looks like? <clears throat> Um, you know, I didn't really ask those questions, but that is, would be something to look into, definitely. Um, yeah, what they're picking up on, if it's, you know, verbal cues or the way we react to situations or if we're actually frustrated and showing them that. I feel like I usually internalize things, so I, I don't feel like they're, you know, like I'm reacting that way, but they must be right. picking up on something that they can sense that stress, stress in the work situation. So as a college professor, we would have students in lots of different clinic sites. You know, they would be spread around in lots of different clinic sites. And there were times that we would be in class and we would be, you know, talking about a subject or talking about a treatment plan or, you know, talking about something. And they'd be like, that's not how we do it. That's not how we do it in clinic. We're supposed to do so and so and so and so. But every now and then we do this or we don't do it that way because, you know, it's almost like there were some secrets they were supposed to be keeping, but they weren't keeping. Yeah. Do you think that, what, do you think students have to mm -hmm. absorb that stuff as well? And I'm not saying that it was all negative stuff. I'm just saying there were mm -hmm. things that were going on that students may have to absorb and try to make sense of on their own. Yeah. I, I mean, I feel like I've experienced that as a student, like the pressure to like not say certain things and you can say certain things and what you're supposed to do when you're at, you know, your clinical site. Um, and like our, how are students being used when you're there? Hopefully it's all good. And, you know, but I'm sure there's situations where it's not, or where they're hopefully not by themselves, but I'm sure it's happened before, um, that adds stress to that. And, you know, they're just too scared to say something. They don't want to get in trouble or they don't want to bring it up to the people they're working with or their instructor. Maybe, I don't know. So for students that are in these situations, how do you think that affects their educational process? So like I said, they would come for us, would come back to class and they'd be like, that's not how we do it. And so there would be a conflict even in teaching methodologies. But how do you think it affects their education as a therapist? If they're seeing all of this stuff go on. So, for example, if this stuff's going on in the, the clinic that they did their clinicals in and their training clinic, but then they get a job somewhere else. What does that look like? How do they make that transition when they only know what they know? They only know what they've been trained in. How does that affect them learning and moving forward? Yeah, I think it's going to create stress and anxiety because <clears throat> you know how to do it one way and you maybe learned a couple other ways how to do it and then you go to a new job and it's completely different. Um, I think it's just learning to adjust the way they do it or offering maybe better ways that you know how to do it. Um, 
like I said, people just need to communicate better and talk amongst each other because I think you go to a new job and if you're a new therapist, like I've experienced like this, um, right. they just say, this is the way we do it. This is how we're going to do it. And if you're a new therapist. You don't know, you don't feel like you should speak up and say, oh, well, we should do it this way, you know, but like I said, communication is huge. What do you think about students? So maybe um, they're all in, they're all passionate about this. They think this is what they're going to do, but then they get into a situation because, you know, not all clinics are created equal. So you've got the mm -hmm. one that's spectacular and you've got the one that's a little less than spectacular. What about the student that's in one of those clinics? Do you think this in any way could affect their career decision? Do you think it in any way could make them you know, double, just kind of check themselves and say, is this really what I want to do? And it doesn't have anything to do with the patients. It has to do with that environment that they're working in and what they see is maybe, oh gosh, I don't want to be that person in five years. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm a little worried about is that we're going to have um, students not wanting to go into this field because of what they're experiencing when they go shadow it or when they're out there learning. Um, and we want, you know, we want, it's a rewarding career. Like I said, we want people to come into this field and do well, but unless we improve upon things and we can change things, that's not going to happen. Um, just constantly have to keep striving to improve it. It's interesting that you mentioned if somebody just comes to shadow and so that's, you know, before they get into school or while they're getting ready to get in school and they're trying to make some decisions as opposed to somebody who's already in school and they're already in a program and they're having to do their clinical competencies and, you know, do all the things that they do in clinic. Do you think that um, therapists react differently when a shadowing student is there as opposed to somebody who's already in the program? Do you think there's a different, or, or do you think everything just is what it is every day? Do you think maybe there's a, a different um, attitude towards somebody who's shadowing? Like you said, we want to encourage people into this field. Do you think there's a different mm -hmm. attitude towards somebody who's shadowing as opposed to somebody who's in a program? Yeah, I think there definitely is. I can even say that, you know, from myself, if I have a high schooler there who's shadowing me, I'm trying to maybe not filter myself, but, you know, I want them to be interested and not scare them away versus um, an x-ray student or somebody who's coming to shadow us. They've dealt with patients. They know what's going on. So I feel like I can relax a little bit. And if they see, I don't know, that aspect of the job, maybe they already know a little bit about it. But yeah, that's true. That's a good point. I don't want to use the word shelter um, because that's that's not the right word here. But is there... What are the instances where you separate yourself from the students? Because you mentioned hopefully students aren't getting used in an inappropriate way. Hopefully they're, you know, they have full supervision and all those kinds of things. At what point do you just have to say, okay, you're the student, I'm the therapist. And maybe some of it is shielding them from some of the things that are going on. But when do you have to make that, you know, very distinct designation and just say, I've got to deal with this and you need, you know, this, this isn't student mm -hmm. stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, I guess when I have them, I try and just keep them with me the whole day. Cause I think it's important that they see that side of it. So they know, but maybe us as therapists just need to learn to deal with situations differently. So they're not experiencing that stress or burnout that we're having. Um, so we can improve that for them. So in all of my time as a college professor, because I was I was in the with the program for 15 years. So, you know, in all that time, we graduated about 15 classes and we had a couple of people that dropped out. I remember one um, student in particular who went through the, the whole first semester, went through the first semester of clinic, went through, you know, went through the first semester of physics, went through, you know, all of that stuff and then decided this just isn't for me. Have you seen any students, um, did anybody respond, I don't know if it was part of your study or not, did anybody respond that said they changed their mind, that they realized for whatever reason that it just wasn't for them? Yeah, I didn't have anyone say that, but I feel like it's probably happened before, you know, um, if they get in there in shadow or even if they're in the program and they, mm -hmm. you know, they don't like it or it's just too much. Yeah, I definitely think that's probably happened. Do you think there's a way, so... Equally so, you know, there have been therapists that after three or four or five years, we, we often get the question, what else is there to do? If I don't want to be in clinic anymore, can I work for a vendor? Can I go into education? Can I, you know, what else, what else is there to do? How do we better prepare students 
so that they realize they may have to make this sort of decision or they may want to make this decision or these ideas may enter their head. How do we prepare students um, to, to look out for those things, to be ready to make some of those decisions if they have to? Yeah, um, I guess I've had a couple of great professors who have always told me um, lifelong learning is huge in your career. So I've always been somebody who's been willing to adjust and kind of take things as they come. Um, like I said, I used to work at a very large hospital in Minnesota, and then I moved back to Iowa, which is teeny tiny and a lot smaller. So I decided to go back and get my master's degree. Um, I just think there's a lot of options in radiation therapy or even an x-ray. Like if you don't like general x-ray, specialize in CT or MRI, there's just a lot of different opportunities, which, which I think are available um, to students. And I try and tell them that. Um, I go to the community college where I work, or that's by where I work. Um, and talk to the students there, kind of just give a presentation on radiation therapy. And I try, always try to tell them that. So like if you're feeling stuck or something, there's always, you know, different opportunities. You can go work for a vendor, like you said, or specialize in something else. There's lots of opportunities in healthcare. So since we're very, since you and I are from different generations, um, and mm -hmm. you mentioned that you tried, that was not anything that was ever presented to us. You know, we kind of just found our way and, you know. Um, yeah. So is that something that you see that students now have a better realization of that they may can start therapy, but if they want to do something else, but if they want to stay in therapy for the rest of their lives, they can. Do you feel like students um, have a wider option or wider knowledge of the, the options out there? I really think they do. Even from, you know, when I was a student, I didn't know all those options existed. And mm -hmm. I feel like when I talk to them or tell them about those things, like they already know it or they're being educated about it, which is really good and a step in the right direction for them, for their future, for that generation of therapists or x-ray techs. So since we talked about that, we're not real sure what we're doing when it comes to coping, um, you know, personally, we may have some outlets. If you, when you speak to some of these students or when you have students that are in clinic, do you discuss coping? And if so, what is your advice to them um, about coping with, with these stressors? I don't know if I've ever, that's a good point. I might have to add that to my presentation that I do. Um, I don't think I've ever added that or talked to them about that, but um, yeah, that's a good point to make. Um, I think coping, well, I do things externally, like I like to run. So that's what I do if I need to get out of my head or if I've had a bad day at work, I go for a run or I read a book or something like that. But yeah, I think there's probably multiple options that you could do to help deal with those things. It's interesting you say that because I run as well, probably not as far or fast, but I do, you know, and, and you're right, you just kind of get out of your head or I also read, um, like you mentioned, do you think people recognize those as coping skills or do they just, I almost believe that because we in some way cope anyway, I almost believe mm -hmm. that if it were named a coping skill, then we could better relate it to the stress does that make any sense? So like I've had an incredibly yes. stressful day and like you said, I'm just going to go out for a run. Do you realize that that's a coping mechanism? And if so, would that be, if we named it, would it be easier for us and for students? Yeah. I mean, like now at this point in my life, in my thirties, like I recognize that that's a coping mechanism, but in my twenties, if you would have said, oh, you're going on a run because you're trying to cope with something, I probably would have been like, no, I'm just exercising, or, you know, something okay. like that. So I think it would be good to put a name on that as a coping mechanism. So let's go to curriculum because just within the past couple of three years, has it even, has, there's a tiny little line added to the um, like standards for curriculum and it does talk a little bit about burnout. Um, what, what would you add to the curriculum for students, especially when it comes to coping or just knowledge of things that are going on? Oh gosh, yeah, that's awesome that it's been added. Um, I think just being able to recognize that in yourself and in therapist and talk about it. If you're experiencing at your experiencing that at your clinical site um, or something, go talk to your instructor or a classmate or somebody who can help you or give you um, things you can do to cope with that stress that you're dealing with. You know, as a student, you have enough stress. You don't need more <laughs> added onto your plate. So as, and I mentioned this earlier, as a parent, you know, our kids kind of mimic what they see or they 
they only know what they only know. So when we think about these traits as a profession, so the profession of radiation therapy, if we think about some of the traits that we're passing on to our students, um, I would love to highlight things like hard work and passion for our profession mm -hmm. and incredible patient care. But what about some of these other traits? Um, do you think therapists ever think about, oh, maybe, maybe, Maybe I should check that so that so that that's not what the person's learning. Right. Um, you know, I hope that they think that. I don't know that we do because we get such in a routine of our everyday habits while we're working that I I don't know that we even like process that in our brain. Right. Um, but hopefully, I don't know through research or articles we can bring this up as a topic to other therapists so they're actually thinking about these things when they do them. Um, and not bringing added stress to students. No, and I, I love that you said, um, you know, we just we just kind of go through our schedules and we're dealing with our own stuff. So I don't even know, I, I'm so glad we're having this conversation because maybe somebody else never thought about what they were portraying to students that this is yeah. the next generation of radiation therapists and it's what we teach them, what we model for them that'll, you know, give them a foundation of who they're going to ultimately be as professionals. And some of those things, um, and I think you and I talked about this as we were getting ready for the show, were things like conflict management. And you've mentioned um, communication a whole lot. How do we model things between our coworkers or between us and management, us and physicians? How do we model those things so that students pick up on it so that maybe they're better conflict managers or better communicators? Yeah, I think it's something we just have to show them. Um, me as a therapist, I'd rather have something communicated to me 30 times than not hearing it, you know, at all. Right. So you might hear me say something like, oh, you know, I tell a therapist that and I might say it again a couple minutes later, forgetting that I told them or just making sure that they know what's happening so that, um, <clears throat> you know, that we're being safe and hopefully students will pick up on that and take that with them. Um, when they go to practice as radiation therapists. So speaking of modeling good behaviors, let's take the flip side of that. And um, I remember when one of my children was young and maybe spouted out some dirty words, maybe spouted out some curse words that, that they had heard. So as radiation therapists, what do you think are those behaviors, or maybe in your study, or maybe you've heard from students, what are those behaviors that they see that they won't necessarily model but like my, my child's spouting out curse words, it's, it's just kind of part of the routine. What are some of those most destructive behaviors that you think students may see in clinic? Yeah, I think just like nonverbal, like if we're frustrated with something, you can see it on their face or a hand gesture, you know, like raising right. your hands or sighing under a breath, something like that. You know, they pick up on those things. So maybe we yeah. just need to catch ourselves and verbally say out loud why we're frustrated or, you know, again, back to communication. I don't know if that's important to me, but um, <clears throat> do something like that so that they know why we're frustrated, why we're reacting that way. Um, and maybe just check ourselves. Maybe we shouldn't be reacting that way to situations. Maybe we need to step back, take a breath, take a minute, reassess the situation and see what's actually happening versus just an immediate frustration to that situation. So that was a good point. Um, maybe we need to step back. And do you think that we as professionals in the heat of all the, you know, chaotic work environment, do you think that if we were more mindful of what we were portraying to students that um, it may help to resolve some of these other issues that are going on if we just were mindful of the of what we were portraying? Yeah, I definitely think so. Um, we just need to think about what we're doing, but um, <clears throat> also I think we just need to change that part of us. I mean, I know that's hard to change, you know, to change your reactions to situations, but if you're just kind of, in, like I said, internalizing that and not actually changing the way you think about it, are we actually improving anything? Um, so maybe, like I said, if a healthcare organization can just offer different coping mechanisms or um, like conflict resolution or something like that to help us better be prepared for those situations that could help. Okay, so we've talked about modeling some of those behaviors we don't want repeated or you know acted upon. What about modeling behaviors 
that make for a great therapist. What are the, what are the traits? You were talking about passing traits down to the next generation of therapists. What are the traits of a great therapist? And what are those traits that we really want students to pick up on? Yeah, I think um, trust is number one. You have to be able to trust your partner, um, trust the physicians you work with, your other teammates that you're working with. Um, and also just communicating, like if you're doing a shift in the room, um, if you're going in to move something, just communicating everything that you're doing so everyone knows um, what's going on. And I think just having loyalty, you know, to each other and the organization, just remember why you're doing this, why you're here, what you're trying to improve, you know, you're there for the patients. And <clears throat> So um, I said we would start this and end this on a very positive note because we, you know, kind of hit some hard, hard spots there in the middle. So let's go back to that job satisfaction. If you've got a student that's shadowing or a student that's in school, what do you say to them at, since you've been in the field for a while? What do you say to them? You say to them after five years or after 10 years, this is why I still love my job. How do you, how do you relay that, that job satisfaction and how do you give them some, I don't want to say hope for the future because I hope they do have hope for the future, but how do you tell them that if they pick up on some of these great traits, this is what their next five years or 10 years, or in my case, 30 years could look like? Mm -hmm. um, I think just gaining that experience and <clears throat> like all the people that I've gotten to know, like they got the privilege to know throughout my career. Like I, I couldn't tell, like I've met people from different countries and you know, right. different walks of life and you like, I learned so much from them. Um, and then also I feel like I'm giving back. So it, like I said, it's just a really rewarding career. And I want to um, add a little bit to that where you said you've learned so much and I feel like I learned so much and I have every day that I've been a radiation therapist, whether it's exactly about radiation therapy or if it's learning a new technique or if it's meeting people like meeting you, if it's doing research. And I think that's something that is overlooked but should be highlighted more is the investing in yourself part and taking every opportunity to make yourself better. And I think that adds to a long positive career as well. Yes, definitely. You just have to be open-minded and know your worth and be open to learning. And I one, I think that's a great way as we're wrapping up here for you to say know your worth because you've mentioned and we've talked about that our worth as a profession, we should stand together and try to implement some changes. Our worth as a profession, we should try to stand together and you know be better at some things. And then our worth as professionals, we should pass the positive traits down to the next generation of therapists. So I think know your worth is probably one of the best ways to summarize so many of the things that we've talked about today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. So I want to thank you for being on the show. And um, since we do have like research interest, I would love to work on something in the future, actually. So um, I think what we um, got across, I hope that what we got across to the audience, to the listeners today was that we have more than a professional responsibility. We also kind of have that responsibility to ensure that our profession grows in positive ways. And I hope that we pass those positive things down to that next generation of, of therapists or techs or, you know, whoever may be listening to this. Yeah, I completely agree. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. And I'd love to work in the future on a project so yeah good we, we will do that then so thanks a whole bunch and we'll talk soon all right see ya